Welcome to episode 27 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. We are kind of in the last doldrums of the offseason that's happening right now. So there are still people being signed. There's still rumors flying, trade talks. And the first kind of big event in the Blue Jays sphere that we need to talk about that happened since we discussed it on the last pod is the Stephen Matt situation. It seemed like there was a bit of a Stephen Matt's derby. We heard <laughs> there will be a decision by Thanksgiving, which was a little bit odd. Uh, maybe he just needed that peace of mind to really enjoy the holiday. And Stephen Matz is now a St. Louis Cardinal on a four-year contract. Four years for for an ex-Blue Jays lefty from the Cardinals. What could go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, uh, Stephen Matz is a valuable guy. Uh, I don't think he's a guy you'd, like, cry about if you uh, if you don't re-sign him, which I don't think most Blue Jays fans are doing, but... Uh, uh, but yeah, good, you know, good for him. Get paid. Get that fourth year. I was I was shocked that he got four. I thought that you know I think most predictions had him hit two or three, uh, and that's you know you know if you gotta if you gotta get that extra if you gotta put an extra year in to get Steven Matz, you got that's what you gotta go and go out and do. I guess. <laughs> I thought the Cardinals had the Cardinals' way going, and that they that would be the tiebreaker, and they wouldn't need the extra year. Well, but I guess it's a, it's a different era now. Yeah, I mean, if the Mets had had tried harder, if the Mets had a proper uh, baseball operations department, <laughs> they may have been able to yeah. get, them, get that done themselves. That was a pretty hilarious. I mean, I think Steve Cohen is great for baseball writ large. Like, if I was a Mets fan, I wouldn't be. I don't know. I mean, he's clearly willing to spend money, so I don't know how angry I would be about this. Or maybe you just like, I don't know. It's it's entertainment for sure. Well, like, there's not a, a lot of owners out there on Twitter. If you were a Mets fan, you would already be just numb to <laughs> to, to the yeah. world, basically, I think. But, yeah. yeah, that's true. This is just a different flavor of previous despair, probably, from a Mets perspective. Uh, yeah, Mets is, like you said, he's a he's a good four potentially five he's probably worth something like 10 million a year i i was sort of assumed the whole time i was going to be on a three-year contract if the blue jays had signed him back on a three-year contract at around 10 million a year i don't think that would have been the worst thing in the world um but it's tough to imagine them and we'll hear, hear rumors and we'll get to it getting a sort of a higher level starter like a middle ro- middle of the rotation top of the rotation starter like the Robbie Rays of the world and then going and spending this amount of money on mats as well so in a sense i almost figured that the better outcome for the blue jays would be to let mats go anyway because it would increase their chances of kind of landing that big fish whether it's starter or infield to be fair it's just hard to see them in free agency signing Matt's to this sort of medium money and then going and getting the big money for the other hypothetical guy. It's it's funny because we talked about Barrios and that contract seemed to have total consensus in kind of the Blue Jays Twitter sphere, for lack of a better term. And this is kind of the same. I feel like everyone's on board with Barrios and everyone's kind of on board for letting Matt's go at this if this is the price point. I I think that's true, yeah, and I think a lot of people. I forget who summed it up well or best on uh, on my Twitter. Who was <laughs> they were just like, uh, I'm preparing myself to be real happy if Matt's resigns and real happy if they let him walk. And I think that was uh, that's basically where everybody was at on that. I and it, you know, four years for like that's just 
for for that guy is too much. Like I think you want if you're going to give a multi-year deal to a pitcher, even though like the the you know the average annual value is what what eleven million something like that, uh, that's doable. But I, I think that they were definitely like sort of shopping in the the shallower end, you know, on the shorter term stuff. You know, we heard about them being in on Syndergaard and and Verlander would have been a real good idea. Andrew Heaney apparently they they. Uh, they were right there on him as well. I mean, all of those are, you know, all this is in gigantic air quotes. Because uh, they're always right there. Yeah, supposedly. exactly. But but I, but it will. But it, we're pro, we're beyond the point also where like that sounds like a PR exercise, right? It doesn't feel like it's. Uh, it doesn't feel like hearing that they're right there on somebody is just to make us believe that they, you know, they oh we do have money to spend. We're just not spending. We're not. We, we came second place. Um, no, like they will spend money at some point, but yeah, I, I, to, I, to me, it's like, it's either top end of the, of the market or shorter term. And so Matt's kind of fell in that middle zone where it didn't really make a lot of sense, I guess. Yeah. He's the sort of player where you kind of hope that you can develop someone or get a bargain and get similar production. And often you can't. And that goes wrong and you kick yourself and you think, damn, I should have actually just spent some money on this instead of thinking I was smart enough to do it. And that's sort of what happened with the Blue Jays bullpen last year, right? Instead of yes. kind of spending money, they're like, oh, we can cobble together our own development and bargains and then we can allocate those resources elsewhere and be more aggressive with that and go get a Semyon, for instance. And that worked really well in a sense, in the sense that Semyon was awesome. And it worked really poorly in the sense that the bullpen was terrible. So sometimes you end up being thankful you have a Steven Matz around and you, you know, you're putting too much trust in kind of, yeah, that combination of development and bargain or reclamation guys or whatever you want to call that. But I just, I don't think this is the one. And Eno Saris had a good tweet about how reliant Matz is on velocity because his fastball, he's got a very weird fastball. It's sort of like technically a sinker, but he basically throws it like it's a four seamer. Like he doesn't. He does get his ground balls, but he, he elevates it a lot. And it's it's just not that great a pitch from an action perspective. It's And he had he did get some velocity boost in 2020. He carried that over into 2021. That was a big part of his success. And it was kind of like, if he's throwing 95 plus, it's a good pitch. And if it's a little bit below that, and that was kind of the split that Saris did. And he was like, if this pitch is 95 plus, it's doing really well. And if it's anything less than that, it's a very hittable pitch. And when you're talking about four years, a guy entering his 30s, like that velocity yeah. could go down and that that <laughs> makes it a little bit of a tough toolbox to trust when he's so reliant on this fastball's got to have that punch behind it because the action is just not doing anything interesting. Yeah, that uh, four years is a long time, it turns out. Yeah, it's a while. It's a <laughs> while when you get for sure. And I, I think it, this also opens the door for the idea of Again, it's a tricky issue, but like, do you want to do the thing where your fifth starter spot is sort of an open competition spot? And generally speaking, you don't because that either, even if that works out, somebody probably gets injured anyway. So then you're, you're eating into your depth. But for the Blue Jays, the situation is a little bit different because we do have kind of the lurking specter of Nate Pearson in there who, in theory, you kind of you'd want him to have an opportunity to win a spot, even if we're not super optimistic about exactly how that will go or what the innings look like or whether he can stay healthy. The last thing you want to do is kind of shut the door on him as well, because the ceiling 
is not going away as much as the floor, the, the floor has fallen out for Pearson. There's no <laughs> floor anymore, but the ceiling is still there and you, you still want to kind of create a path for this guy. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, I don't think you want to build your roster around him at this point or like the pitching side of your roster, but, um, but yeah, he's like he's very intriguing, and obviously they like him a lot. And obviously, you know, even the fact that we're still talking about him as a potential starter uh, speaks to that. And it's uh, I don't know, it's it, it, it that's going to be interesting because you know, like you know, we're him as a like, like he just doesn't have the innings. Also, like if he is twenty sixteen Aaron Sanchez, like are they at the end of the year going to be like okay, well this is too much, like like because he just he just hasn't built up in that way and maybe because he's been a professional and you know uh, we, we usually you know we count innings in terms of like what's on the fan graphs page or whatever and obviously they throw more than that and you know um non-competitive innings but at least that like helps him build up so it's probably not quite as bad as it looks if you just like look at the the raw numbers in, in terms of like competitive innings but he you know <laughs> the workload just isn't there for him uh, so he's, uh, you know, last year would have made more sense to have built your roster around uh, having him as a piece of, as the of the rotation. And yeah, I think they, I think they, and I think Ross Atkins has said this, and, and I think I don't know if it was on uh, at the letters with uh, with Ben and Arden or or when, but recently he was like, you know, he ideally guys like him, Anthony K, Thomas Hatch, he to my, he quite notably did not mention Trent Thornton. Uh, I don't think you do at this point. I don't think you do either. Yeah, that's been disappointing. But no, uh, but like was like well, ideally they will force their way into the conversation. They'll they'll you know make their own like jobs for themselves, uh, sort of the way Alec Manoa did, I guess, this year. Yeah, and again, pitchers get injured consistently, right? Like you just need to make those plans with all those guys. So Pearson is kind of the six. It's not the end of the world. I guess what I'm saying is that. I don't necessarily hate the idea of, let's say they go and get another pitcher and then you've got, you know, Manoa, Barrios and Ryu and then pitcher Y and then leaving that last spot to Stripling Pearson. Like, I don't think that's a disaster. Stripling isn't great, but for a fifth starter, he's not the worst. And he also slots back into the bullpen fairly easily if Pearson makes a move, if one of the other young guys, for whatever reason, is able to make a move. Again, you probably want that to be your sixth spot just because the inevitability of injuries. But I do think there's a scenario where they just go get one more starter as opposed to the idea of they need to replace both these guys. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Uh, I mean, you're kind of you're leaving. They, they would be leaving themselves exposed for the first, you know, three months of the season uh, in, in a way that they may not want to. But yeah, like I don't know. You're, the rotation was strong last year. Uh, it turned out, and so. I think, yeah, if you add a Robbie Ray, for example, that would be the obvious example to that group. And you have Ryu, Ray, Manoa, Barrios, whoever's the fifth starter, it doesn't matter that much. And so and I think that's sort of probably where they're at, right? Like I think that uh, the guy has said, again, I don't know if it was on that podcast or I think it was after, I think it was at the Barrios uh, press conference was saying, you know, one starter, ideally two, basically, or two starters, maybe we can get away with one. And, uh, and, and that's probably right, uh, though the market is dwindling a bit. This is also the thing on them. 
Yeah, you know, a lot of the guys that they've, like you said, I don't think that them being in on guys and then falling away at the last second is necessarily the sort of PR thing that it used to be. We will see them spend money on somebody. Like you said, it would be pretty disastrous, in fact, if they spent no money in this right. offseason after <laughs> what they lost. Um, speaking of spending money, uh, interesting news this week with in regards to ownership, which mm-hmm. is interesting because th- this seems to come up I don't know if it, it's not once a year. It seems to come up from time to time. The idea that, you know, the Blue Jays are not part of Rogers' core business. This is an asset that continues to gain in value. It's a way for the company, if they spin them off, to make a pretty significant chunk of money. I also just reading about the Rogers Shaw of all of this. It kind of goes to show my level of understanding of how these type of things work, where it's like, oh, it's $26 billion, but you just buy it with $20 billion in debt. <laughs> that seems like a lot. Yeah. Anyway, and it seems like <laughs> selling the Blue Jays doesn't actually really eat into that that much. It also, if you look at investments from an investment point of view, like MLB teams are this scarce commodity and that's why they continue to raise in value so much because they're just not, I mean, they might expand at some point, but they're not going to expand to 30 more teams. So, and there, you know, there's the whole prestige aspect and egomania, billionaires, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot going on, but like, it seems like unless Rogers really has to, and again, I've made it clear in just the last few seconds that I don't know a lot about corporate strategy. But unless they really need this money, it seems like the Blue Jays are an asset that is going to increase in value. Like it's, Sports franchise has been incredible investments over the last few years. And that's even beyond all the broadcast rights stuff and the way they sell that back to the media arm and the money to be made there. It, it, it strikes me as a little bit odd overall. Uh Fair. I, I, you know, I think I like, I don't know. Uh, first of all, yes, you're absolutely right that they've been incredible investments. And that's, I think, the lens that everybody should be looking at all of this stuff through or anything financial about the Jays or about any team through. Like, for example, in, two, in I don't I don't know if it was 2000 or 2001, but whenever Rogers bought the team, uh, they bought the team and the stadium. If you add those both together, it was probably about $200 million. Uh, they're now valued at $2 billion. Which means that over about twenty years, uh, they've made eight, like one point eight billion dollars, which is about ninety million dollars, which is which is ninety million dollars a year. So, uh, so the uh, turns out, uh, even if they ran at a loss in several of those years, a loss, quote unquote, um, they still did real well uh, because whatever you know, whatever if they spent, which I think they have in the last couple of years, if they spent beyond what their revenues were. Uh, the equity in the franchise still still was $90 million on average per year. Um, so, yeah, that is obviously a very valuable property. What I think about what, what's going on with the situation is probably stadium related, right? Because they're, uh, you know, they're financing this Shaw deal with debt. Rogers, like you say, $20 billion <laughs> is going to have to be borrowed in order to make that deal happen. Uh, I think just having another giant amount of debt on the books is not great for the stock price which is obviously paramount over there uh so spinning it out into another company where it might be able to better finance the debt that's going to have to happen to you know do whatever they're going to do at the sky dome or or you know the new bark the new park that's going to be uh slightly south of there which i think is are probably the two two options on the table uh it makes sense and also uh 
they, you know, two billion, like two billion, if they could get two billion for the Jays and they can get a billion and a half for their stake in MLSE and just like put that into a separate company that's still owned by Edward Rogers, which I think is sort of where it seems to be going. Um, that doesn't pay down their debt for the Shaw deal, but that that's that's a sizable chunk. So uh, that seems to that see I don't know that seems to be the way that, that is probably going to go, or that's where the thinking is. I would say. Yeah, it, it, I guess the thing for me is that it it has been such a good investment. There's no reason to believe it won't continue to be a good investment. That unless you really need that money it's just like if i'm if that's a stock that i own the blue jays <laughs> well, and i own that's another one option, share right? yeah there that, you go Andrew Wilson's piece that was tracking shares could we could be green bay packers style except one guy still owns the team you just have a, a stock that like follows the revenues of the blue jays yeah i know i know a couple of green bay packers uh shareholders i think they're they're happy with that arrangement it would be kind of the exact opposite if you can imagine of sort of like a faceless corporation <laughs> yeah. owning your favorite sports team to you feeling like you own a little bit i mean i think that's a cool idea overall something that you got into a little bit when you wrote about this is the idea of like this is no guarantee that things are going to be better and i mean or worse to be honest I just there's been a lot of animosity with Blue Jays fans and this Rogers ownership, and you know I think to be honest there's gonna be animosity with fans and almost any ownership because all MLB owners don't spend as much as they can afford to spend right. as much to make <laughs> your team better as they could. Yeah. So there probably isn't an owner you'll be quote unquote happy with, but you know in recent years to be honest the Blue Jays have only really spent really low amounts of money at times when it wasn't realistic to be competitive I'm not saying that they couldn't have added more here or there or whatever like you'd like to have the Dodgers ownership group be your owners but I think there's this yeah there's kind of some animosity with Rogers and the assumption is like oh if you got out from under the corporation that's obsessed with the bottom line and accountable to the shareholders and you found something that was a little bit more independent or more focused on the baseball team itself, that would be significantly better. And I'm I'm not a hundred percent convinced that that's true. Like if I'm reading this as a Blue Jays fan, this article in Globe and Mail, um, which to be fair, also you know Shai Davies Sportsnet wrote a little bit of a piece saying you know nothing's imminent and maybe we'll see how it plays out. But my first instinct isn't to say, "Wow, this is great news." It's just it's really a wait and see, to be honest. For sure, which is wild because for for twenty years it's it's not felt like that. It's been like, oh man, it'd be great if Rogers didn't own the Blue Jays. Uh, but I think you're right. Yeah, I, I, I think that you know the the perils are sort of the same no matter what happens going forward. Like if Edward if Edward Rogers owns the Blue Jays as a an entity in him, in himself and not the corporation. You know, we're still subjected to his whims, his finances. Like, there's, there's, he could very easily make them not, you know, uh, cut their payroll and, and be like, okay, we're going to be a, a cheaper team than this, and uh, just as Rogers could do. I do think that, like, a, like the Shaw deal and the fact that they're going to have so much debt to make that happen, uh, is perilous, I guess, uh, for the Blue Jays, right? Like, I think that, like, going, like, that happening at the corporate level, they they are going to have to think about 
their share price or their stock price. That's what that's, you know, that that is a thing for them <laughs> and uh, may have to like start cutting corners elsewhere in order to, to pretty up the books, uh, which could be bad for the Jays and which, which would be a reason to, to be happy in the near term to have them out from underneath Rogers. But, but like the ownership situation definitely has seemed uh, to be pretty good lately. Like uh, uh, Mark Shapiro in the, in the Shapiro era, it has not been as contentious as in the Beeston or the Godfrey era. Um, he seems to have really done a great job of selling the vision of like how, here's how we make money on a baseball team. Um which seems to have worked and they seem to have been backing him. And I, partly that's probably because Edward Rogers is, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I do, vanity is maybe not the right word, but, but it probably is the right word. Like, I, yeah, I, I mean, I think there's, uh, there's a, there's an aspect of that. And there's also, I mean, I think they can make money. I mean, this is a, this is a, a marquee market. It's a, uh, like the TV numbers are crazy compared to like even, the Yankees, right? Like, there's more people watching Blue Jays games than Yankees games because because they're nationally televised. But still, like, it's a it's a cash cow, and you know if they're they're going to pretend that it's not. They're always going to pretend that it's not, but it absolutely is. Uh, and and I think that they they are right, and I think there's something that people talked about for a very long time, and I know I talked about it for a very long time. It's like you know, I don't know, spend on this team and it, it make this team good. And people will watch, and they're like all the benefits of that will will follow, and they finally seem to have convinced the people at Rogers that that's correct. So, uh, so they they know what they have, and I you know I don't know it's uh, uh I I don't I don't know. I don't th I think it will I think that will stay the same regardless of who technically owns the team. I think you mentioned a good point there, which is the role of Mark Shapiro, right? I think a lot of fans really loved, you know, you know, Beeston and Anthopolis and previous characters, especially Beeston. Oh man, <laughs> for a variety of reasons. I had sort of, sort of interject, but like, I saw that it was like I forget how many years, however many years ago that uh, Gibbons was rehired, and I'm, I've told this on. I don't know if on on this podcast or on podcasts before, but I was there at the. Was uh, it 2013? Was it for that supposedly great team that he was brought back? For? That's right. That's yeah. Right. So I guess it would have been 2012, like November 2012, because that was the 2013 team. And I just I remember being at the like that the the press conference was in in the dome in the you know in the bowels of that of that building. And I remember being like super packed into there. I think like Bruce Arthur was like like was behind me and. And, you know, everybody's just, like, crowding in. And uh, suddenly I realized, oh, Paul Beeson's, like, literally also right behind me. And uh, and when and when somebody from, like, uh, somebody from, like, TVA or whatever, or some, somebody asked uh, Anthopolis a question in French. And Beeson was just, like, literally, like, just elbowing everyone around him. Just like, this fucking guy, do you believe it? Look, look he's, just, he's just talking in French now. <laughs> he couldn't, like, he couldn't believe it. And it was just, in, and everybody was just like, yeah, man, that's cool. Like, and he, I don't know, just a gregarious kind of character. He's a sure. character. Yeah, and we've all had run-ins with Paul Beeston, and uh, yeah, they tend to be interesting. He also, <laughs> also, do, it's yeah. just, it's, uh, you know, in in much of the world, very typical to speak multiple languages. Uh, in a huge percentage of the world, correct. not really considered an accomplishment. Correct. Uh, it, yeah. It's just like the North American viewpoint. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but no, anyway, like those guys are characters and they're kind of like, oh, they're independent thinkers and cowboys and they're Canadian and it's great. And then when Mark Shapiro came in, a lot of people felt like, oh, this guy's really buttoned up. He's not really like speaking our language. He doesn't really get us. And, you know, there's degrees to which that's fair and unfair. Mm-hmm, for sure. But he, you know, he whose language he does speak is Roger's yeah. language, <laughs> yes. right? Like yeah. he's the one who has done a really good job interfacing with an ownership that, yeah, is a little bit less removed from a day-to-day of a baseball team than most owners could potentially be in part because he is very much like the exec capital E executive kind of even beyond being a baseball executive. And he's like you said, he's sold them on the vision and been a really key figure in all of this. And maybe if you don't have a Mark Shapiro type who can build that bridge between baseball operations and ownership, uh, then when you have an owner like Rogers is a little bit unusual being a corporate owner, being more detached, potentially, the results aren't as good, but I think Chappelle deserves a lot of credit for being able to get people on all sides of the aisles to buy into what he thinks this team can be, what he thinks the franchise can be. And, you know, that involves, you know, hosing taxpayers in Florida and like <laughs> not necessarily all yeah. things that are great, but it does involve things that build the Blue Jays towards being a better franchise. And they probably, as great as the 2015 team was, they are probably a better franchise today than they were when he arrived. Yeah, I think absolutely. It's, uh, I mean, was it like the Big Ten, like whatever conference that so they wanted him to be the commissioner or something like that? Like, I mean, this is a guy who clearly people understand knows the language of the boardroom as well as he knows the the, the sports stuff. Like, uh, yeah, he. he I don't know. I think if you talk to someone from Cleveland, they may have other opinions. I know that they they don't feel great about their stadium sometimes, even though it's you know it was it, it was a lovely stadium at, at first, and and obviously the uh, the team now called the Guardians um, wasn't. Uh, and I think that's I think that was an ownership thing, but it wasn't always as well funded as it should be, and and you know obviously. Had to sell off, to, had to sell off players, but they did a very good job of like, and you still see how great they are at you know player development and, and especially on the pitching side. You know they just seem to. It seems every year Cleveland has a has has guys who just show up and it's like oh they're really great. Oh you got oh Julian Merriweather, wow. <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, no, I think it, I, I think that's absolutely true, and I, I think that I, it, it's nice that people are starting to appreciate that. Um, but also the job is not done so uh you know well yeah the, they didn't the make the playoffs. Great place, but yeah yeah uh, uh we gotta <laughs> they have to they have to see this through before we're putting their you know a banner hired mark Shapiro up on the on the <laughs> the the stadium there yeah i think you can retire shatkins without coronating anyone right yes uh, yeah that, that's, that's probably that's, where, more where we're at yeah yeah and I, yeah, I think you probably have to feel more positive than negative about Blue Jays sort of baseball operations at this particular moment in time. But like you said, the job's not done. And, you know, there is a world and it's not a world maybe too many people want to entertain this timeline, but there's a world where they squander Vlad's prime mm-hmm. and, uh, and you know, maybe various injuries happen and it just never comes together. Like they're in a very difficult division. Um, it's not going to get easy anytime soon. And, you know, even with these building blocks they have with Barrios and maybe they they struggle to extend any of these guys like, 
it's interesting when the Wander Franco extension came down, all these people are saying like, oh, why aren't they doing this with Vlad? Why aren't they doing this with Bo? And it's like, it takes two to do that, man. Like the, the Blue Jays, I'm sure would <laughs> absolutely, if the Blue Jays could get Vadi to sign a 12-year contract, I'm sure they would have, first of all, it's a very different situation in terms of like service time and where where they are. So you couldn't make that comparable from a money perspective. But just the idea that Vladdy and Bo are in the market to sign a huge extension, uh, it's not necessarily true. Like the guys are in different situations. You talk about before, and you don't want to make too many assumptions about a family and finances, yada, yada, yada. But these are like second, you know, second generation ball players who came up early enough that their parents made tons of money. Vlad had a good signing bonus he's going to make big money through arbitration Bo is set up to make big money too the pressures on them might be slightly different that way they have the potential to hit free agency at an incredibly young age and make buckets of money um it's going to be interesting how people perceive the lack of extensions we're seeing now and they, and it may well be that the extensions come at some point but i think there's some notion that like wow the rays went out and got their guy look at how the padres went out and got their guy like why can't the blue jays do that too and it it's not nearly as easy as that, I don't think. No, and uh, yeah, uh, like Tatis's dad didn't make nearly as much as as Vlad's dad did, and and you know, yeah, you're right. You, you don't want to assume. I don't know how the family finances work or anything like that. Uh, but you know, they'll be fine if he doesn't. You know, if he doesn't get, he doesn't have to sell himself short for that. Uh, nor does Bo, um, and and that absolutely makes a difference. That's, I mean. You know, I think that the that the the terribly team friendly deals that the Braves signed with Albies and 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 Acuna Jr. are, uh, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the other side of that coin a little bit. Uh, and also, I mean, just uh, like free agency, just in general, is appealing, right? I think that you know, as as it should be to to anyone because it's such a ridiculous uh, system that that they exist in, right? Where it's like, oh, you, <laughs> you have six years, maybe six years in the minors, and maybe and and then six years in the majors. Like that's like you could like there are literally guys who are indentured to a team for twelve years uh, before they can choose, you know, where they want to work. They're not, they have no other way to pursue what they want to do. And, and I don't think, that, and I think that the Blue Jays have you know made it a priority to make it to make you know toronto appealing and the the things that they do as an organization appealing um but yeah i you know i i I, (laughs) to to you know what barrios did i think that's maybe underscores how remarkable that is is that like after a couple months it's just like yeah this is this is the place they're paying they're going to pay me the market value maybe less um and to just agree to sign on because the because of of, uh, uh of how partly how they value the city and the, the the you know all that stuff which is you know that's more probably pr spin than uh than than like the first priority but like uh you know how just how the organization works and how they work with him and all the stuff they are doing which is something i was talking to people on twitter about like, you know like the it's more than you know, pete walker is great there's more it's more than just pete walker i think a lot of times uh because they have they, they are very focused on making it a great place for families of the players but also for how you know they atkins and shapara will talk about giving players resources to help make themselves better and, and that's you know i think that's something that they have tried to do 
obviously. Uh, and yet, um, I don't know that I, I, I can understand a young player being like, well, you know, play in the field a bit more. And, and especially because, you know, you see that payday down the line, you're like, uh, and if you're Bo or Vlad, uh, and you don't have to think about as much, you know, life changing money because your life has already been changed by money. Um, you know, it, 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 it's just like you say, it's not, it's not exa exactly comparable to the Franco situation. Yeah. And, you know, let's taking aside the Toronto desirability thing, and I think it has definitely increased. I think there's also, you know, for a lot of players, there's, there's an impediment to the idea of living abroad. It's, you know, people get really sensitive about that. It has nothing to do with how great Toronto right. is as a city. Like, <laughs> I was personally, you know, I'm born and raised in Toronto. I've lived here for all but four years of my life. Like, I only have great things to say about Toronto. That's not what I'm trying to say. But there are certain players for whom Toronto is just not really going to be the place they dream of. And if I, you know, if I have the opposite, like, let's say I'm a ball player from Toronto and I get drafted to the Texas Rangers. Um, and that's just the first place that I really wouldn't want to go that pops to my head. But, uh, you know, realistically, I spent, yeah, like I said, you, you said, like maybe 12 years kind of in and around that area, probably not where I would have wanted to put my roots. And I have the ability to go out and command a huge contract and go almost anywhere I want to go in the entire league. Um, that's definitely something that's going to be an option that I think about exploring. Like we do get a lot of extensions and that's because it's hard for guys to say no to this level of money sometimes. But at the end of the day, the idea of having the choice, which, yeah, it, it's a weird world they live in where they don't get the choice. Like, we all have the choice out there to go and work where we want to work, by and large. Like, you don't graduate from a university and get drafted to, like, one of the big <laughs> software companies. Like, oh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I don't know. So... I just don't think that you can hang that on the organization of that. And it may well get, I'm not saying it's not going to get done or that any guys secretly, that Bobachet secretly hates Toronto. Um, I'm just saying that like, you know, the idea of playing somewhere else, especially for guys who there are other places that are kind of closer to home or closer to what they're comfortable with is not the craziest idea in the world that they wouldn't sign an extension. Here. Yeah. I, you know what? If this is Bob McCowan's podcast, we'd be talking about trading Bo apparently. So, is that something that was discussed? <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, that was weird. I, is this? Am I being outed as not a not a daily listener? I, I absolutely know. am not. But I saw John Morosi was on there. I'm like, all right, let's see what he says. And then they got into talking about trading trading Bichette. I'm like, okay, I don't. I mean, this is... here's what you could get a lot for him. <laughs> there's there's the benefit. If you want to trade Bo Bichette, you could get a lot for him. I was like, I think maybe um, Bob was benefited by. It. Being in an environment every day where people talk about sports instead of at his house, uh, where where the weird opinions just get more entrenched. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's good to have an ecosystem for sure. Uh, Same, good to have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but you know, we're you know, I'm doing it from my apartment. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh wait, I'm, yeah, I'm, my yeah, are, yeah, I was gonna say like, uh, are getting very entrenched. Yeah, well. are, are we? Are we any different? <laughs> it feels like the weird opinions could very easily leak out over here. Let's bring it down to earth for a second where the opinions can't be too weird because I did want to circle back on some of the pitching market stuff. That's kind of been the the topic in the early going of the offseason. I say early going, but it's kind of potentially going to end in a couple of days. So it, it's getting late early, as they say. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the names the Blue Jays have been attached to is really 
well, lately, other than the ones that have come off the board, is really sort of Robbie Ray and Kevin Gosman. And I still think they get a lot of Ray because people don't know how to perceive other teams' interest in Ray, although we've seen um, we've seen people seem diving in on Ray, like various Red Sox, White Sox, etc. So it's not like there's no rumors about him. Gosman is interesting, too, because he is a guy the Blue Jays have pursued before. And we've seen in the past there, there'll be times where the Blue Jays really... And this is not particular to the Blue Jays, but they like a, a player... And then they'll continue to think about that player. And then when they get the opportunity, they'll get him later. Like that happened with Simeon Woods Richardson, for instance. They wanted to draft him. They didn't get the opportunity to draft him later. They pursued him in a trade. Oh, that's like, that's in- like an Anthopolis thing, too. It's like, oh, Alex always gets his guys eventually in the end, right? Eventually. <laughs> when they're washed up. Um, <laughs> World, so, Series World Series winner. So Kevin Gosman is very much in play. And those guys are in a pretty similar bucket, to be honest. Like, I know Ray's the guy with the hardware right now. But if you look at Ray and Gosman's sure. stats this year, they're pretty similar. You could make an argument that Gosman had a better season. Um, but a lot of that is going to undermine what drove Ray Cy Young. And we don't need to get into FIP wars. However, right. <laughs> uh, like, if you're the Blue Jays... Are you more interested in one of those guys? Or the, I mean, clearly you're happy to have either of them. But is there, let's put it this way, is there a case to pursue Gosman instead of Ray? Because Ray is sort of the guy you know, someone who has an interest in coming back potentially, um, someone who is obviously a huge fan favorite, Cy Young winner, all the positive we can say about Ray. Is there a counter case for let's do Gosman instead? Uh I mean, internally to the Blue Jays, probably. Uh, I don't, you know, I, we're obviously not privy to that. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, Gosman's really good too, and and like you say, they they have pursued the, him in the past. They liked Ray, and I think that's this is sort of part and parcel of what of of their entire kind of strategy, which is like, okay, there's there's like a million paths we can take, and and none of them are necessarily wrong. Um, so I think to, uh, you know I think it's just whoever works works at the number that they want or works closest to the number that they want is is where they would go with that. But I, I think you know I would be I would be happy with Gosman and not Ray. Um, I think a lot of Blue Jays fans probably would not be uh, just because you know the devil that you know. Um, but yeah, Gosman could be really good too. I I don't know I don't know I I, I I'm not like. The, I have not looked too deeply into the red flags on him potentially. Uh certainly not to the extent as as I have on Robbie Ray. Uh which the which 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 there are a few. Um Yeah. I mean he's got those pants, I think, man. Let's come on, bring back Robbie Ray. It's true. I mean maybe you could convince Gosman to wear the same pants to help ease the transition. Like, listen, man, you're coming into a hard spot. People are going to be yeah. primed not to like you. Here's something you can just throw their way, and it's gonna it's gonna really help you from a PR perspective. Um, no, I, th- I think you're right in that. Let's say the Blue Jays sign Gosman, and then Ray signs for sort of a similar deal elsewhere. Um, I could see Ray- Blue Jays fans being like, "Why the hell didn't we just bring back the guy who won the damn Cy Young like with us? Actively wants to work with us, and we already love him. Why are we getting Gosman instead?" The interesting thing for me is there's a lot of similarities between these two pitchers. Mm-hmm. Like they're both essentially two pitch guys. Like Gosman is the fastball and the, the big splitter. The splitter yeah. 
and then raise the fastball slider. I mean, the splitter is fun. It's a lot of fun. I kind of like it more in theory, just but that's just because you don't see it as much, to be honest. It's it's not that I think it's a better pitch necessarily. It's just fun to watch. Uh, you know, they're similar in that they have the uh, third time through the order penalty hit them really bad. That's probably because they're both two pitch pitchers. I mean, that's also every pitcher. But. That's every pitcher, but them especially. And they both are sort of not great on contact management, so they give up hard hits. But why they're good is because they miss a lot of bats and they keep the walks under control, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I don't know. I think it is kind of a coin flip. You could probably make a similar case for Gosman having you know, red flags like Ray. He's had some pretty poor seasons in the past. His history, his track record is a little bit more mediocre. Like even when Ray... Before Ray was bad in 2020, he was probably better than Gosman had been in the past. Um, you know, Ray's walk thing is a probably a bigger red flag than either of them have if you're sure that he can repeat that in terms of, you know, throwing strikes consistently. But hell, he did it all of last year. They're both durable. They're both coming off great years. They're both essentially the same age. They both, yeah, this is the all, their best platform year. I don't know. Like it. I will I will say this because I'm looking at his at his Fangraphs page right now. Uh, first half, Kevin Gosman, 173 ERA. Second half, 442. So that is uh, a red flag to me. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a red flag. It's the, I don't it's know. the opposite of Stephen Mads, who yeah. had some had some bad competition, but also made some changes and. Uh, uh, it was real good down the stretch, uh, but also, <laughs> it's it's arbitrary and it's like, yeah. So it does, yeah. That doesn't do a ton for me either way. I, <laughs> I think, yeah. I think I mean, honestly, great season, the, yeah. The, the you'd be great. Very happy to get either of them. I think so. And getting neither of them, uh, I'm not sure if that's a disaster. But if you get neither of them. Then the hope of kind of filling the Robbie Ray spot with not the same level of production, but something similar at least, is maybe dying out because I, you know, I don't see the Kershaws or the Scherzers making their way down. And maybe that's unfair, but I just it's hard to imagine that happening. No, I think that's right. But also, but also the Robbie Ray spot is kind of filled by Barrios, right? Like he he only had like twelve starts here, so uh, this is the. Uh, this is what the 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 spin of the Blue Jays would be is like. Well, you know, you have you're gonna have Springer for a full season, and you're gonna have Barrios for a full season, and, and that Manoa. will and that will make up a lot of the gap of like the war you're going to lose from not having Robbie Ray and Marcus Simeon. Yeah, I mean that's the huge idea. Like you said, is not necessarily that you're going to be able to replace those two guys exactly because it's virtually impossible to do that. Although, yeah, maybe if you do Ray or Gosman, that dream is more alive. But you're not going to get it on the infield side against Simeon. So it's, yeah, it's people that improve. Like, you know, Bo and Vlad, as good as they are, still young enough to improve. It's also that your bullpen's less of a disaster. It's also that you get full season of Manoa, full season of Barrios, full season of Springer. Although, you know, that's (laughs) those things are not guaranteed. And then, not, you know, not and a then thing you, that happens often. It, it turns out that Springer plays a full season. And then you put uh, maybe some Gabriel Moreno into that mix to Ooh. raise your ceiling at catcher, and that's Ooh. what. Oh, and God. then maybe, 
you know, maybe Kevin Biggio gives you some confidence at second base as opposed to the disaster he was last year. You can make an argument of the Blue Jays can repeat the success of 2021 without them signing free agents that directly have the same value as Simeon Ray. And you have to be able to make that argument because if you're relying on, oh, we're going to just take back 10 war and free agency, no problem. <laughs> that's incredibly hard to do. Yeah. And they almost certainly won't do it. But I don't think that's a reason to despair if you're a Blue Jays fan. You can't think it like, oh, they'll never be able to replace this guy. Therefore, they won't be as good in 2022. And I don't think that's as much as we talked last year. We talked last year about how 2021 is a specific opportunity because of these seasons that they're getting. And it was, and it was a missed opportunity, and it really sucked yeah. for the Blue Jays. That's a like last year at the end, and the way the Nationals blew it, and the way the Rays couldn't score a run, like all these things. I'm not telling you guys not to feel hurt about it because there's plenty of justification for that. Um, but you can have a very, very strong 2022 that doesn't involve signing the next Cy Young winner in free agency and the next MVP candidate. And I don't think that's sort of pie-in-the-sky, rose-colored glasses, overly optimistic thinking. I think you can find those outcomes. It's not unreasonable, especially if you get at least one more good pitcher and if you invest something in the infield. Like, if they do nothing, if they did nothing <laughs> from here on out, I wouldn't say that. But presuming right. that they are going to do something, which seems like a likely course of events, it's not crazy to assume that they can do as well or better in 2022, even without replacing these guys, quote unquote. And I think that's right. I think also, though, you know, they probably think about July 31st more than than we do as, you know, like the Andrew Heaney thing, for example. Like, apparently they were off finalist. Again, gigantic air quotes on that. Uh, and I can see that. I can see that making sense just the financially and like, in terms of where the rotation is. And, uh, and you know, that's the thing you can fix at the trade deadline. And they could, and they can still do it. They, you know, the, I think I said this last week, but like, I forget who said, uh, I don't know if it was Jeff Passan or whatever, but like, Passan, I don't even know. Uh, but so, like, the bones of the team are very strong at this point. And I think there's a lot that can be done, you know, midstream, you know, at, uh, at the trade deadline to, to fix whatever issues they have. So they don't, the, I think a lot of people get sort of uh, hung up on the idea that, oh, they have to have the perfect opening day roster. And it's like, well, no, they don't necessarily because they have a pretty good roster and they will, they should be able to, they, they should still be in the playoff race by the end of July. And that could also be a, a point where they can uh, not, not even just make trades, but call it, Gabriel Moreno, for example, or, you know, do, do things. So it's, I don't know. I think it, it, it whatever's going to happen next season is going to play out over a longer period than just, than, 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 you know, just making sure that the roster is optimized for uh, the start of April. Um, but also they do sort of, I don't know. And, and if you listen to Atkins talk about it, they do sort of think about it in two periods as at, you know, the, there's the off season and there's the trade deadline and there's not a lot you really do in between. So I'm not trying to like say that this isn't an important time and that, you know, that, that uh, or make excuses for the fact that it, for, for the potential that they don't, you know, do as exciting things as we would like them to do. Um, but there is still that, you know, down the line potential, especially now that they, you know, Man, having Barrios 
in the fold for that as long as they have is is really really huge like i mean i know we already talked about it last week but like man that's uh that's awesome he's great he's so great and <laughs> it's going to be here forever it's amazing um but yeah i think it uh, i think that that's uh i don't know i, I don't think that, that changes how you do this off season and i think that that's partially why they structured that contract the way that they did and and didn't you know they didn't front load it for sure um and ideally that means that they're going to go and find some some guys for the for the next year and 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 I think Shy wrote a piece this week about how maybe the trade route is is uh is their best option which which I think you know with Sonny Gray out there and with the Oakland guys uh, Alcantara had a, it looks like, I don't know if he's officially signed with the Marlins again, but that looks like they're finally, you know, but the, but Miami still has guys and could use an outfielder. There's still ta- tons of po- uh, pathways, even though it seems like the free agent market is, is dwindling a bit. But, um, but yeah, it, I don't know. It's all real interesting. I would love them. To, I would love for them to do something, uh, interesting and meaningful before, the stupid lockdown that's going to you know suck two months out of the winter yeah absolutely <laughs> i mean we we you know we've got podcasts coming up i'd like there to be content in Wouldn't them. That be nice? uh, yeah. I, I, an ideal scenario i mean i don't want to be too optimistic but uh yeah i would like to, it would be good to see something happen you bring up an important point though when we talk about the off season we continue to talk through the frame of an opening day roster and what are they going to have to start the season the reality is you can go into the season with a couple of holes. I mean, everyone has holes in some regard um, under the understanding that if you're in the mix, you can make those additions at the deadline and make that. But that doesn't always work as well as sure. it worked in 2021, which arguably, I guess it didn't work because they didn't make the playoffs, mm-hmm. but it did. And it did essentially work. It's not always going to be like that, but you do keep that in your back pocket. It's just harder to talk about because we don't know who's going to be available at that time, what Blue Jays prospects are going to be on the up and up, look like good treasure. It's, just, it's a lot easier to be like, oh, you know what pitchers are available? These guys. Therefore, the Blue Jays should get them. And so it's kind of a, it's an, it's a real unknown, like what's going to be out there, the 2022 trade deadline. But we definitely don't give enough thought to it, to be honest, because that is, yeah, it's a way that Atkins in the front office conceptualizes building the team. And even though they've generally been reticent to trade away prospects, they showed last year that they're willing to do in the right deal. And it looks like they'd be willing to do it again this year under the right circumstances. So I guess that is something to keep in mind if the Blue Jays get through this offseason, whatever the hell this offseason looks like. (laughs) And there's a couple of spots on the roster that you don't feel comfortable with. Well, they could be addressed later, especially if they're guys that can, you know, plug that. You know, I just mentioned Kevin Biggio bouncing back. Maybe he is their starting second baseman this year, and maybe that doesn't go great. Maybe what we saw in twenty twenty one, but yeah, twenty twenty one is maybe not that bad, but similar level. It's just kind of quote unquote not acceptable for a starting player. And then maybe it's an infielder they're looking at the deadline. Like we, it's often pitching that people assume. But yeah, he's he's an example of a guy that maybe you give a half season run to. It's like okay, well, we think you can maybe do this. And if you can't, we'll find that out in a couple months, and that's a position we'll look to address potentially at the deadline. There's a lot that goes into that, um, but in the off season, 
well, yeah, we, we fixate on who we know is available. And of the people we know is available, the list is getting shorter and shorter. But we're definitely not at that panic level for the Blue Jays, um, especially with all the options available in the trade market as well. For sure. Uh, it's just, you know, <laughs> if they were in literally any other division, you'd kind of just feel more comfortable about the idea of going going into the season and uh, That's and, and, and we'll fix it later. It's like you, I don't know. You can get buried very quickly in a division with the Rays and the Red Sox and the Yankees. So that's that's the tightrope they're kind of walking. I think. Yeah, they're they are still in this division, unfortunately, and that <laughs> is an uh, it's an evergreen sentiment. And we will we'll leave it there. We got to save some content for the weeks to come, uh, the possibly barren weeks. So we will uh, we'll see you on Friday going to be a crapshoot what's going on at that point if we're if we get lucky the blue jays will do a transaction because that's really what we're all living for is we're living transaction to transaction so <laughs> thanks for uh, tuning in hopefully we'll see you last next week and we appreciate reviews subscriptions all the stuff you do <laughs> <laughs>